0: Hello, this is Andrew, and welcome to People Who Suffer. This is the first in what I think may be a long line of podcasts. As a matter of fact, I'm quite committed to it, so it is going to be a long line of podcasts, even if the only person who listens to it is my mom. So, I guess the most interesting thing to ask at this point is what kind of a name is People Who Suffer for a podcast? Well, I'm going to attempt in this first episode to give you a pretty clear idea of why I chose that name for the podcast. As I was talking to a a coaching friend of mine who has worked with uh, quite a few people that you might know around the world, successful in different areas of business and life, we were talking about the things that meant the most to me. And who I most hoped would benefit from listening to what it is I have to say. And as we went on with the conversation, I had identified a bunch of different names of groups of people that I wanted to help. And it went anywhere from children to teenagers with depression to parents who were having a hard time with their teenagers to people who are having difficulty in their relationships and it just went on and on and it flowed through a great number of people that I have either worked with as a coach or that I had wanted to work with or help in any way I could because I had seen them and the things that they were struggling with in life and felt like some of the things that I had learned over the years would be valuable to help. So as I continued with this conversation with Mark, he said, after having listened pretty closely to me, he said, you know, there are three words that keep popping out to me in what you're saying. And I said, oh yeah, what are, what are those words? And he said, people who suffer. He said, you continually reference your desire to help people who suffer. And I was really not just taken aback, but it actually felt like an awakening inside me because that was the thing that I absolutely did identify with in every group of people that I'd spoken of. The common thread between all of them was the suffering. And that conversation actually took place in... I believe December of 2019 or maybe January of 2020 it was right around right around the new year and my intention was to come out with something relatively soon and release maybe four or five podcasts by the end of March well we all know what happened shortly thereafter was this thing known as the coronavirus popped up In China began to make the news. And then it made its way through the world and ultimately landed on the shores of the United States sometime in early March. And at that point, my focus had drifted a little from what I wanted to do. And I had not completed any recorded episodes to share. So, the days passed and turned into weeks, and now here we are on April 3rd, and I missed the deadline for releasing the episodes that I wanted to release in March, but here's the thing that has happened since I would have recorded those episodes is The number of people suffering has grown drastically. And I think we've all become very familiar with the term exponential. I believe that the number of people who are suffering in one way or another now has, has exponentially grown over what it was just a few months ago when I first spoke of launching this podcast. And so now I have a different approach to this and perhaps... A much broader audience even if it is still just my mom who listens to this and I think possibly it'll be more than my mom maybe a couple of my friends may even be some people who don't know me who knows but I hope that if you are listening to this that in some way you can feel the earnestness with which if that's even a word I'm not sure it is but i am i'm very earnest in my desire to help people who suffer and the most logical question which arises out of that desire that i have is why why do i want to help people who suffer what what do i have in common with people who suffer why do i identify with that group so much and i think that one of the things I'd like to do on this first episode is just give you a tiny bit of insight into the truth that I understand suffering. I am one who has experienced a fair amount of it and actually really become quite good at it. So many of the things that I found myself involved in And many of the experiences that I had in life may have had nothing to do with suffering and may not have been the sort of experiences that you would look at and say, wow, that guy, he suffers a lot. And a lot of people who knew me probably didn't think that I suffered a lot. But people who knew me well and people who were very close to me in my world knew that the happiness that appeared to show up on the outside was not reflected by what was going on inside. And so I'm actually going to take you back at the beginning of this to a story from my childhood to, to give you an idea of how early I learned how to suffer because I'm currently 49 years old and um, I have had a lot of years to practice this as you will here from the story that I share, because this took place actually when I was probably five. I was in kindergarten, so I think I believe I turned six at the end of kindergarten year, but I think that this may have been earlier. It doesn't matter whether I was five or six. We had an assignment at school. We had to draw some sort of picture of something and bring it to school with us. Now, it seems a little young to be having a homework assignment, but this began what would be a trend to continue dramatically throughout my life, of having (laughs) some really serious difficulties with completing homework assignments and really any task that I was assigned So we had been given this assignment, and I had to draw some sort of picture, and I came to school the next day knowing two things. Number one, I knew that I didn't have my picture done. And number two, I knew that I couldn't stay home because I couldn't skip school at five years old. But the feeling of fear was so intense in my little five-year-old head and stomach, which is where I remember feeling this kind of suffering the most, that I took some drastic steps, and I made sure that my teacher did not see me arrive at school. I went to a little school called Hearts Corners in a town of Trenton, Ontario, Canada, we were a pretty rural community. We weren't, uh, there weren't a lot of people at the school. It was only kindergarten through grade two. And I arrived at school and made sure my teacher didn't see me. And then I, I did what I thought then, at the time, anyone would do. But I find out later in life that it was pretty much only me, maybe at this point, who would have done it. I went into a coat room because uh, in Canada it gets pretty cold and we all come with our boots and our coats and take those off before we go into our classes and leave them in this room. And I hid in the coat room behind some coats for three and a half hours, however long kindergarten lasts. I stayed in there the whole time, and um, you can probably imagine the fear that I was feeling that I'd be caught, that I would have to come out, and now I have to explain not only that I'm skipping school, but that I didn't finish this assignment that I'm certain everyone else in the class had finished, or at least I was certain at the time. And I stayed there the entire time. And then when the bell sounded and the buses arrived, I snuck back out and got on the bus and went home. Now, this is in the days before any absence from school was reported to parents. Uh, So nobody called and checked up on me. But in all honesty, I can't remember what I did after that because I'm also certain that I never finished the assignment. But I guess the emotional impact of the following day was not nearly enough to have me remember it in the way I remembered the first day. So that was the first time that I really remember the feeling of what suffering is. And it would not be the last. I would continue with a number of experiences like this that went on and on and on And I could easily tell you of the number of recesses that I had to sit inside and write things on the board, the times that I had to, three days into school, move my desk right up so that I'd be attached to the teacher's desk while everyone else sat in their normal desks. And I just thought that whatever was going on with me was the same thing that was going on with everyone else but they had the ability to control it, and I didn't. So that was the difference. Everyone else knew how to live and function effectively and interact with each other in effective ways and get their schoolwork done and not get in trouble in class. And I, being the exception to that rule, I did not know how to do that. So I think you can probably imagine that the feeling that accompanied me everywhere I went throughout most of my life was pretty constant and pretty consistently the same. And it was this sickness, this tightness in my stomach that I think everyone sort of understands. I think there's two different ways that you could really understand it. One of them is if you have done something that you know is wrong and you got caught. And the moment you get caught, that feeling of sickness just wells up inside you. That's one way you can feel this. Another way you can feel it became really clear to me about a year ago. I was at Magic Mountain with my family. And I was riding this terrifying ride, and I can't in the moment think of what it's called. But it's something extreme. You lay down in it anyway. And I was there with my son-in-law, married to my daughter, JC. And we were riding this ride, and I was we were right in the front two seats. And this thing went... Up and up and up, and I knew that I had made the wrong decision. And I knew that actually really early on because as we were going in the line, I saw every other person that was anywhere close to my age backpedaling and passing me, leaving the line going the other direction. So eventually we get up there and I talk to the kid that's, you know, guiding traffic to get you on the ride. And I said to him, Am I the oldest person? that's been on this ride today. And he said, ah, yeah, I would have to say that you are. But by then I was kind of committed, kind of. So I went over, got in the seat, and then at the last second before that little thing snaps down on you, I thought to myself, I got to get off this ride. I can't do it. But by then it was too late. They'd come, they'd checked, it was firm, it was there. So here go Leif and I and everyone else who's on the ride up this Who knows how high it is, but it's extraordinarily high. And these chairs are flipping around and we get to the very top and we're in the very front seats. And we get up to the very top and it tips over the front and hangs us over. And we flip over and we're now looking face down, dangling only by the harness that's holding us in place. And the reason I described all that to you is because the feeling that was in my stomach then, very comparable to the feeling that you have when you've done something really wrong and you just got caught. Well, why do I describe these two feelings? Because I want to give you insight into uh, what suffering was for me. And it was that I didn't just have those feelings when I got caught or when I was in the front row of a terrifying amusement park ride. I had those feelings almost all the time. And I went through life with these feelings. And you can easily guess the thoughts that would come to a person who would go through life with feelings like this. The thoughts are, I want out. I can't experience this Every day, all my life. This is just no way to go through life. But here's another problem that happens in life: is that you, not only if you're a person who feels feelings like this and you want to get rid of them, you want out, you unfortunately have people around you, or should I say, fortunately, I guess it's more fortunate than unfortunate. You have people around you, you can't leave. You have people around you you cannot let suffer. And so the desire to escape the feelings is overpowered by this little sense of responsibility that you have to those around you. And you want to keep them in as much happiness as you can. At least that was my experience of it. So I went on about my life and felt this feeling all the time. And every once in a while, if I was playing sports or listening to music or doing whatever, there may be some escape from the feeling. But for the most part, it was there constantly. So this is how I experienced a great portion of my life. And I hope that having shared that with you, you can understand now why I feel compassion for those who suffer. And that I do have understanding for those who suffer. I have enormous compassion and enormous understanding. If you are one of those who suffers, I understand you to the degree that I'm able. I have compassion for you. It's no fun. I know it. Now, this would be a bit of a downer if the only thing we talked about on this podcast, was suffering and how miserable it is. So you probably noticed during the intro that there was some happy music playing. Well, why on earth would there be happy music playing when someone's talking about people who suffer? Well, let me share with you why. It's because when you arrive at a certain point where you understand suffering for what it is, for why it's occurring and for the temporary nature of it, that it becomes a much more lighthearted conversation. So imagine that I've gone through life feeling this feeling that I've described and it's continued, and I wrote it up and down through unemployment and letting people down and failing in school, even though most people didn't know I did that, and not doing well at just a number of things. I did enough things well and showed up well enough in life that no one really had an idea of what was going on. And I also felt, given the nature of the suffering that I was experiencing, that there was no point in me sharing it with anyone. Why would I burden someone else with something that they would never have an opportunity to do anything about? Because I believed 100% with absolute certainty that that was my lot in life, that everyone had a challenge or maybe multiple challenges that they showed up with when they came to this planet. And it was your job to learn to overcome those. And they would never go away, but you needed to figure out a way to function even in the presence of those challenges. And this thing that I called suffering, I found out medically that doctors had a name for it. It was called depression or anxiety. And so once I had that, of course, now... I'm not just a person who suffers, but now I got a reason for it. Now I understand it. I suffer because I have this thing. I have this thing that's called depression. And it's a chemical imbalance that I inherited through the long line of people who suffered in my family. Primarily on one side of my family where there were lots of great emotional and intellectual gifts But part of the price that you pay for having those emotional, intellectual, artistic gifts is that you get the downside of those as well. And the downside of it for me was that, yeah, I got this thing called depression. And I was just going to have to deal with it. And maybe I'd find some medication that would help and help me learn how to cope and deal and live and be okay. Um, But I was never really one for medication I was never really one to have a great deal of faith and belief that I could be myself, that I could maintain the other parts of myself that I liked, that I could maintain the ability to feel music and love music and feel compassion and all of those things and be on some sort of medication that took feeling away to the point that I didn't feel those things too. And I need to be really clear that this was just my decision. I have absolutely no judgment against anyone who should choose to medicate the very condition that I had because, man, oh, man, if I had really believed that medication would work, I would have done it. Anything to get away from that suffering, anything to get away from that feeling, And I did try it a couple of times for very short periods of time. I think the first time was like a week, which apparently does nothing anyway. And the second time was for maybe a couple of months. And after a couple of months, I just decided, no, this is not for me. And I stopped without telling my doctor or my family or anyone and went through a pretty challenging period for the week or two following that, for sure. So back to why is there happy music playing at the beginning of this podcast? Why would a podcast entitled People Who Suffer have music that would feel like you were at the circus, that you were at a dance or a polka or having the most fun time of your life, And this is the joy of what I'm sharing with you because when I recognized and learned about suffering and the source of it and the cause of it and why it was so present in my life, it started to dissipate and it became less and less until now this life that I experienced living with 90% of my waking moments having suffering in them, and only 10% maybe feeling some level of freedom from that suffering. Now it was 50% and 50%. And then it was a complete flip-flop of how it was originally. So that now my life is 10% suffering and 90% nope. Don't need that in my life and don't really have it anymore. So, the goal of this podcast is to share with you what I learned, how I learned it, how you can learn it. And I'm going to come at it from a lot of different directions, and some of them are going to feel strange. I'm going to talk about golf and music, song lyrics, comedians all sorts of different things because the reality is that everything that is part of our experience of life relates to this understanding. So I'm going to share those things with you over time. And I do hope that you're willing to stay with me and know that there is hope. There is an incredible amount of hope and hope is the key to moving forward with optimism in anything in life. And I look forward to talking to you again. Bye for now.